You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. It's the Immigration Hour, David. I'm so excited to be back here. I was out last week. Uh, I had a court that I couldn't be here for, but uh, great to be back this week. And I think I'll be here the rest of the month, David. That's a good sign. I, I don't really have anything on Tuesdays that will keep me out of here. So I'm, I know you're shocked by that. And uh, too uh, too muddy to farm. It is too muddy for. Although my loofahs are going crazy. You got some natural loofahs? I have some natural loofahs. I have like 50 natural loofahs growing all over my garden. Would you bring me one? I will bring you one. How big do you want? I mean, I got one that's literally, did you see my picture? It's like two feet long. I don't want something taller than I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I planted, I, I had a packet of seeds. Yeah. And I think it's only one or two plants that have come up. Huh. But those are vines, and they're they're like a weed, and they just go now, everywhere. Now, do you dry them after you pick them? And well, uh, you have to. There's actually videos on Google, yeah. uh, on YouTube. Uh, you can go look at how to do that. Uh, there's a whole process. And you have to de-seed them too, because their seeds all. Uh, the seeds are at the bottom, so you okay. cut the bottom off, and all the seeds come out. And the rest is just the, the cell structure. You have to wait on the vine until they get light. So right now, they're all very very heavy because they're full of water. Mm-hmm. But that will gradually, as it gets colder, usually around the first frost. And uh, then we're ready to go. Now I had a bunch that were on the ground that are kind of rotted, but I've got a bunch hanging on my on my on my walls of my garden, on the fence of my garden. Uh, and I hadn't been down in the garden like in three three or four weeks. And I went down there on Saturday, and it was just full of loofahs. Huh. Uh, some are a foot long. Uh, literally, one I think is about two and a half feet long. Wow. I held it in my hand at the bottom, and it was just massive. Wow. Um, so. Uh, kind of cool to, to see that going on, and and I have peppers. My peppers are still producing, um, but nothing else. Everything else is gone. So bell peppers or uh, uh, everything bells, jalapenos, habaneros. My, mine have already started to to wither away. Yeah, uh, mine are still there, and my my okra, which is now like nine feet tall, yeah, is still yeah. producing. Okra, there, okra is again like a weed. It just never never goes away. Uh, that's kind of the garden update. And I think I told you last time. I I think I may not garden next year. I think I may focus on my orchard. My so-called orchard, because I've got about 30 fruit trees, and I've never really gotten fruit off of them. I mean, this year I had a pear tree full of pears. One Saturday, went back the next Saturday, they were literally all gone. Gone. The tree was empty, and there was nothing on the ground. Hmm. It was the weirdest thing in the world. I had a flock of pear-eating birds. Maybe they shocked them, and fell in a deer ate them all, and they were deer walking around in a drunken pear stupor. I don't know. <laughs> but they were literally gone from one week to the next. And I didn't spray my apples this year, so the apples didn't set, and... I think next year I may I may have a little garden. I may do a couple things, but uh, I'm probably really going to focus on my on my fruit trees this next year. Interesting, because um, I've got all kinds, and I'd like to get some fruit. And you know, the fruit trees, the 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 return on a fruit tree is much greater than the return on like a tomato plant. Oh yeah, you sure, know, sure. you, know, you sure. get hundreds of apples or hundreds of, of pears on some of my big trees. I think I've told you when I farmed, I had uh, ten. I guess peach trees. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! And peach trees, mine are now about wow. six years old. A couple of them, the rest are about five or four years old, and they get lots of flowers. And they have peaches like halfway through the season, and they just drop off. Because again, I'm not spraying them. I'm not because there's things you have to do yeah. to ensure that those those peaches well, stay. I, you know, quite honestly, I didn't do anything other than water and fertilizer. Well, you, but you were but, in a, you were in a perfect place for that. I mean, so we had peaches that were just yeah. oh. Yeah, and uh, man, they, they just there was no way that they weren't good. I didn't. I don't care what you did to them; they were. They were good. good. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it, but they were probably older trees too. You know, oh, ten, yeah, fifteen years. Old. Once and they get to that point, they just naturally 
take care of it. But these still young trees need a lot of care to move forward. It killed me to go back and see that they had taken up my orchard. That's just stunning. That's just stunning. Damn those people. Damn them all to hell. Yeah. That was a quote from Charlton Hartland. Charlton Heston from uh, Planet of the Apes, by the way. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if you remember that movie, but it was said, Damn you! He was so good at those lines like that. Uh, David, I don't know if you know this or not, but immigration remains in the news. I don't know if you noticed that or not. And tonight... Tonight, I know you will be glued, like Velcroed, to CNN tonight, won't you? You think so? Listening <laughs> to the future president of the United States. Your girlfriend. Uh, 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 Jim Webb. Jim Webb. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you know, he has done obviously nothing. He really has done, I mean, his, his strategy is to do nothing while he runs for president. But, uh, but I must say. I, I, when his campaign was asked, his response was. I, Eisenhower didn't talk about D-Day <laughs> or something like that. It's like, what? I, uh, some of the things that I, I like some of the, you know, he's been there and done that. And he was, uh, uh, he's probably, out of all of the candidates, uh, has more military experience than any of them. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> we need somebody in the that's been in the military. I know you've talked about that, but that's not, he's not going to do that. And, uh so uh, Joe Biden's not jumping in the race. So it, tonight I was listening to some uh, warm-up this morning on one of the talk shows. And you know what topic didn't come up that they're going to f- focus on tonight? Immigration. Now, isn't that odd? Yeah. It is a major focus of the GOP uh, uh, talk because Trump makes it like that. But others do, too. And yet really nothing in their Democratic primary about this. Now, why is that? Is it because they all have the same stance? And that's not true, by the way. Jim Webb is not for a comprehensive immigration reform. Bernie Sanders has not been really on, on this for very long. Uh, <laughs> Hillary has changed her position to whatever the poll numbers say. The only guy that's actually been super pro-immigration is, is Mike, Mike Mallory. Mallory or Malloy? Mallory. Malloy. Malloy? The governor, former governor yeah. of Maryland. He's the only one who's been pro-immigration the whole way. Hillary just changes her mind whenever yeah, whatever it suits her. Whichever way the wind uh, blows. Um, <laughs> now, it's not just on immigration that she does that, obviously. Well, she just did it on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah, and she just did it yesterday with the unions. Uh, oh, you did some of the union thing yesterday? I don't, I don't, oh, she went and met with them because... They, oh, they were, they, they they haven't were been hugging. Yeah, they haven't been hugging and kissing on her, and so she went well, to... Well, the TPP is interesting because... Her opposition to the TPP actually mirrors many Republicans' opposition to the TPP, the anti-trade Republicans. I mean, there's a lot of those guys out there. So I wonder if the Tea Party guys would not vote for her because she doesn't favor the TPP. <laughs> I wonder how that works. I wonder how that works. When, when are people going to – I mean, I, I, let me ask you. How does it affect you when, when maybe you've been supporting a candidate and they start uh, – well, I know, like you would said about uh, Rubio. He had changed his mind on, on immigration. Right. So how do you feel about a candidate that keeps swapping back and forth on... Uh, on a lot of issues. I mean, it's like anything else in life. The no candidate in either party is going to reflect 100% of what you believe. That's just not true. It's just not going to happen. So you're never, nobody's ever... Unless they vote for themselves, and most of us probably wouldn't do that because we don't think we're capable of doing the job, uh, and we don't have the ego necessary to do the job because there's a lot of ego that goes into this as well. I mean, if you don't have a good ego, you shouldn't be running for president and you shouldn't be voted for for president. Um, Do you think Obama's carried out just stretch far? He's no more egotistical than almost anybody else who's <laughs> run for president, trust me. Uh, he certainly is self-confident about these issues. 
but you have to be. I mean, that's just the reality. Um, so I'm not going to read everything that uh, a Rubio or a Bush or, or a Clinton or a Biden says or does. The question is when you vote for, for these people for president, do they generally reflect your vision, your idea of what the country can do for you and what the country should be doing for everybody else. Now, your vision may be, I don't think the government should be doing anything for anybody else or for me, and I want them out of my life. Well, great. You live in the wrong country, by the way, if that's, if that's your idea. That, that's not what the Constitution says, and it's not what our country was established on. A strong federal government was why the Constitution exists. We tried the Articles of the Confederation. They didn't work so well. Okay, that's why we have a strong central government. Uh, maybe your idea is everybody should be on welfare. Also not why the government exists. Okay? Government doesn't exist to confiscate everybody's good. The government exists to ensure that there is a stable society in which every individual can maximize their potential. I mean, all men are created with you know, certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, you know, protect, you know, and that's in the, that's in the Declaration and then the, the opening words of the Constitution. That's what it was established for. And as we move forward on that, you look for a candidate that's, that fulfills what you think could be done, and they do it in a way that, 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 is, that is in line with your understanding and sensitivities. Yesterday there was a big event in, in New Hampshire, and a continuing all week, called the No Labels Conference. Have you heard of the No Labels Group? Okay, this is run, created by John Huntsman, uh, and uh, Joe Lieberman's now on board with this. And essentially it's a group that says, look, we don't care about your, what you, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. What we care about are issues and where you are on issues. And they, and they conducted in the last election a series of polls, and in the last four years a series of polls, just polling, where do you, where do you stand on this issue? And it's kind of like the central party that nobody, that doesn't exist in America. You have the right, you have the left, and, and, but most Americans reside somewhere in that middle, somewhere in the spectrum of the middle. Very few are on the ends, although the ones on the ends pick the president. Okay, because they're the ones that vote in the, in the two-party primary system, and the more conservative you are, or the more liberal you are, the better your chances of winning those primaries. Okay, Bill Clinton was the exception. Bill Clinton, part of that whole Democratic Southern strategy of bringing people back to the center, that was a different. It was moving away from the liberality uh, uh, of the Carter years and say, look, this, is, this doesn't work for us. We need to be towards the center. Keeping in mind, that's where Hillary comes from too. Uh, but Hillary has her left-leaning things and. Rubio has his right-winning things, and Trump is just everywhere. But yesterday, Donald Trump showed up. He's one of the eight Republican candidates who agreed to go to this. And I, I mean, I honestly applaud the guy. He, he was not. This is not a Trump crowd. Um, and he got some very difficult, difficult questions. And really, the thing about Donald Trump is, you get how he feels. I mean, he's he's going to tell you whatever he believes. You might think he's oh, a this, buffoon. That's where he put a, a couple of. Ladies, put him on the spot about. Yeah, we don't. The, we don't want your general <coughs> generalities. We want. We want specifics. Yeah, and that. And, and I mean, it's about time somebody asks those questions. These fluff pe- questions that reporters ask, and you know, he didn't answer them specifically. Although a couple he did. Um, well, there's one, and of course they cherry picked the. I didn't watch the whole seminar, and the news shows cherry picked the best questions and the most challenging questions. Uh, you know, one is uh, equal pay for equal work, and his response was, "If you do as good a job as a guy, you'll get paid like a guy." Now we know that's not true, by the way. I mean, that that just doesn't happen. We know that doesn't happen. That's why Lily Ledbetter Act, I think, is important to ensure that equal pay for for equal work and, and, and performance always goes into varieties of that work. But women get paid so much less than men for the same job, particularly entry level jobs. The law needs to be in place, but just like there's a minimum wage law for a reason. 
Um, and uh, the other question was uh, from obviously for someone who's a little more uh, liberal, not really because probably not a Republican, maybe could be, uh, where she said, "Will you let me make my own choice on my body?" And his response was very straightforward: "I'm pro-life." Sorry, I mean that's how I feel. Now he didn't, he didn't then go ahead and answer the question. There's ways to answer that question and see because you can be pro-life. I think, and still say, look, we, you know, there's obviously there needs to be exceptions to this rule, um, and here's what here's what I believe. Um, I thought he did an okay job. In fact, it was probably his least pompous performance piece that he's done as a candidate. Uh, it's certainly not going to cost him any Republican votes uh, in the primary, and honestly, he. He's staying in the race. Uh, it's really interesting to see that he has not fallen by the wayside, regardless of what he says. And I think like, a, a lot of it goes to the fact that he is um, he re- he represents that thirty percent of the GOP is just pissed off at government, and they just want to hear somebody else talk. Nobody's focusing on the fact, though, that seventy percent of the party does not support him. You can, I mean, he may get enough delegates early on if he stays in the race through the first four or five. Uh, states where he's picking up the majority of the the majority of the the minority of the majority vote. So he's getting thirty percent in New Hampshire and thirty five percent in Iowa and and thirty percent in South Carolina. And nobody else is picking up those numbers. So he can he can get enough delegates to get to get there if everybody's in the race. But the problem is people are going to stop dropping out, and the vast majority of those delegates are not that are, have gone to a Jindal or went to if any he gets any or Huckabee. They're not going to Trump, okay? They're going to go to the more, the more mainstream GOP candidate. Um, and D- Cruz's theory is, when Trump drops out, I'll get all his candidates. By then, there's still not all his all his all his voters. But that's I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to take our first break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio and be right back. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the second segment of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio, possibly the most listened to radio podcast on on the topic of immigration in the in the and universe. For immigration, immigration without question. Uh, so we you know, just like you were saying, the emails that you get, the emails that we get uh, from your show and other shows, you know, um, are just fantastic, and we appreciate it. And, and I invite anybody that wants to uh, throw rocks at. Uh, Charles, I'll be glad to give you his home address. 
I didn't get my first piece of hate mail in a while yesterday because of the arguments that are coming up on, on Friday, which we'll talk about. But I do want to thank all our loyal listeners, though, who uh, tune in every week and download our podcast. And uh, we appreciate your input. And if you ever want to reach out to me, you can reach David at david at americaswebradio.com. Or you can reach me at chuck at immigration.net. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, if you want to be on the show, we'd, we'd love guests. Right, David? I mean, we, I'm so typically disorganized, I don't have guests all the time. But uh, <laughs> sometimes when we do, we certainly get a lot of good listeners. Uh, now, this rhetoric, there's this rhetoric out there, David, about immigration. And it's not, I don't think uh, people uh, that are in favor of uh, a positive immigration process in the United States are upset when people oppose that. I think what upsets people from my side of the aisle is the rhetoric associated with the opposition. You can disagree with somebody and not be disagreeable. But it's the rhetoric that drives a lot of people to be angry. Uh, like the email I got yesterday uh, because of the work I'm doing for undocumented students that have DACA and seeking in-state tuition. Oh, you're only doing this for the publicity. You're only doing this because you're, you're, you're getting rich on this. I don't know how you get rich on a free case, but I mean, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Well, if anybody uh, could figure it out, you can. It'd be me, right. <laughs> um, but the, the hate that comes out, I mean, can you feel it? When, when Trump talks about all these people coming here in Mexico sending all their rapists up here, I mean, we know that's not true. And so that inflates saying, look, there is a problem of illegal immigration in America. We all get that. We, we want people to immigrate to America, and we want them to do it legally. Okay. I know very few people that would disagree with that. Um, we have international treaty obligations that we have to we have to follow for purposes of refugees from Central America, but for people that just come without papers to the U.S. to work, why? If there are jobs here, if if the magnet is jobs, and there clearly is jobs available, then why doesn't our legal immigration system recognize that reality, and why isn't it changed to meet the demand? Every other part of our of our economic economic process inside in the U.S is really driven by supply and demand. Now, my, my perfect example I love using is the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. Now, David, you were a middle-aged man when, when, when Richard Nixon lowered the speed limit to 55. Okay, I was just before getting into high school when, when Richard Nixon did that. Why did he do that? Energy crisis, right? We, we, keep, we have to drive slower so we have to get a better gas mileage so your, your 67 Dodge uh, Dart gets... Um, Eight miles to the gallon instead of six miles to the gallon, or whatever crazy mileage you were getting back then for gas. Uh, how did that work out? When as society changed, as oil became more plentiful, as oil remained cheap, as we got out of the crisis of, uh, how did America react to a 55 mile an hour speed limit? I mean, they just said, "Screw you! You can't put enough police on the roads to stop us from speeding." And so there was a movement made to change that speed limit. Now it took. A decade or two to make that happen. I think the change was finally reverted back. Was it under Bush or under Reagan? Bush one or Reagan? Bush one. I Bush one, I think. Right. Yeah. It was the early nineties. He said, "You know, this is crazy." And right, right before we got into the war in in in, in Kuwait, right before gas prices went back up. Um, but when laws don't work, people essentially disobey them at their will. You can't stop them from doing it because there isn't enough enforcement even possible, and you recognize the reality. And people said, we're going to lose, all these people are going to die if we raise the limit. Well, that didn't happen. I mean, it didn't happen. Um, people drive safer today. Cars are much safer today 
than they were in the 60s. I mean, in the 60s, you're both driving, you know, giant steel bullets. Okay, now everything's made of fiberglass and aluminum, and there's airbags, and it's, you know, you, you see people die in crashes, but not as many as, as did in the past. Even though the speed limits in some places are 75, 80, 85 miles an hour because people drive safer and the equipment's better. And generally, we are better control as, as drivers. The same thing is true with our immigration system. You know, we have a, a 1952 immigration system updated in 1990, hasn't been touched since other than a, a, a severe cutback and harm towards undocumented immigrants in 96. And so we, we're, as an economy, as a people, as a society, we're suffering. And the people that came here to do work are suffering. Uh, we're making life so difficult for them, we think they're going home. They are not going home. I mean, how much more do you think you can do to somebody before they say, I'm going home? They're just not going to. Things just aren't nearly as good at home compared to even the difficult situations here in the United States. Um, so when when the rhetoric gets out of control, when that immigration rhetoric gets out of control from the numbers of what's really going on, that's where you have a problem. For example, uh, when somebody says the words today, illegal immigrant, what's the first image that comes to mind? David, what's the first image that comes to your mind? The Mexican, Mexican crossing yeah. the, right. the And yet we Rio. have we have essentially zero undocumented immigration from Mexico. Net immigration. Essentially zero. Okay. Essentially zero. Where do they That's come a, up with the figures that they spout all over the place? Well, it depends on which numbers are getting made up by which organization that likes to make them up for their organization. But I mean I pre- I prefer to use stuff like the Pew folks who are essentially nonpartisan. They have they don't really have a dog in the fight. They're ma- they're not making money either way. They just say, Well, here's what the numbers are. And they they publish both good numbers and bad numbers. And that's I think how you can tell. If you go to an organization and they only put out bad numbers, somebody's lying about something. You go to an organization that only puts out good numbers, somebody's lying about something. You look at an organization that puts out good and bad, okay, let's look at let's look at the middle there. I mean, it's why you don't believe Fox News and you won't believe NBC, MSNBC, but most people believe CNN, even though maybe those aren't accurate either. Uh, but we know the net migration for Mexico is zero, maybe even a net loss. So where are a lot of the new undocumented immigrants coming from? Well, most of them actually come in documented. They come in over 45, almost 50% now of undocumented immigrants in America came on visas. Legally to the U.S., they were, as we call them in immigration, admitted and inspected. That means they also passed, if they came with visas, a background check. So they were cleared. They're not, they're not terrorists. They're not bad people. They're, they just stay. Uh, and I know lots of these people that just stay. Why they stay? They had no options or opportunities back home. They felt that America was a brighter light. They felt they could make a better life here, even if they stayed undocumented. They thought there would be a legalization program that they could take. I mean, there's lots of reasons people stay. And a lot of those people are not Latinos. And I think over time you will see, if we don't fix our immigration laws over the next decade, you will see the numbers of undocumented immigrants who are Latinos shrink and the number of undocumented immigrants who are Asian, uh, Middle Eastern, and European increase. And that's just the reality of the way our current legal immigration system is working. So this re- when this rhetoric gets going and you and you and you um, vilify a people, in this case uh, Trump vilifying Mexicans, as if as if eleven as if let's say there's about six million undocumented Mexicans in the U.S. maybe five million in a country of three hundred and fifteen million people, as if they're somehow responsible for all the bad stuff going on. I mean that. that and that's the other thing. When the GOP talks about immigration, they talk about it 
a lot of these guys as if it's the most important thing. What's the one thing you never hear Donald Trump or any of these other guys talking about? Jobs. No, Trump will talk about jobs. Jobs. They don't, what does he say about jobs? Put me in charge and I'll make jobs. What? Well, he goes after he goes after China for jobs, and he's going after not. If you're saying uh, the immigrants coming in and taking our jobs, no. But but Trump does go after him from the fact that we lose jobs to China and. Okay. So, and what jobs are we losing? We're losing jobs some to of the other countries and, yeah. who pay their people less, essentially. Yeah. Assuming that the equipment costs the same in both countries. But that's not immigration. That's it's not exactly right. They're confusing immigration with business. Well, and in this case, it, and and what can Congress do about that? Congress Congress can say, look, we're not going to have any more trade agreements. If you if you're manufacturing a product, Apple, in China, and you're manufacturing it in China because you're making money on the product, you cost you 150 bucks to make an iPhone. You you sell for a thousand here. The reality is we're going to tax that iPhone into, into oblivion. Um, and why doesn't that happen? And Trump, Trump has said this. And, and why doesn't that happen? That's not an immigration issue. And that's that's where the conflation comes in. Oh, it's it's wh- like it's conflating, saying all people come here and go on welfare. That's, that's not an immigration issue. That's a welfare issue. That's I started And by to the way, that. immigrants can't get on welfare. So, you know, you fix that by fixing the welfare system. Immigration is irrelevant to that equation. It's irrelevant to that equation. But most people, you know, what are the what are the two things, the two anti-immigrant things? One, one is they're taking our job and, and welfare. welfare. Yeah, I mean, that, and, and neither one of those are essentially true. But you, you can't know, anecdotally. Oh yeah, well, I knew this guy, and he lost his job to this guy. Okay, what did he do as a result? He just have a pity party, or did he say, "Why did I get replaced by that guy? Is he paying me less?" Okay, well that's. That's a problem. Let's figure out how we're going to fix that. And that's easy to fix, by the way. Uh, but again, you've got to have a Congress who will do something. Or uh, is that immigrant taking a job that nobody else will take? Which is what usually happens. Uh, ask all the restaurant owners in Georgia. Ask the, ask the farmers in South Georgia. Ask the chicken, ask the chicken people processing in people up in North Georgia. I mean, go ahead and ask you know, what those jobs are doing. Uh, and if, you, if, you, if Donald Trump gets them on an airplane and deports them from the United States... Uh, Good luck to American industry because what what companies are going to do is say, great, we just won't make chickens here anymore. We'll just grow them all in China and import them all. Period. Have have a nice day. Um, and but it's the rhetoric. You can talk about these issues and not rhetorically demonize everybody. You can say, look, here's a problem. Let's how we're going to fix it. That's one of the reasons why I like the no labels approach. You know, how can we fix? Here's the problem. We all recognize that immigration is a problem, illegal immigration. We all recognize we have broken legal immigration system. Why don't we get on the same? No, we got to enforce the border. The border's irrelevant at this point. You know, we have. You want to build a fence? Great. Here's a billion dollars. Oh, wait a second. We can only build a, a tenth of the border fence that's remaining for a billion dollars. How much more money do you want to borrow from China to build the fence to fix a problem that doesn't really exist right now? A problem you can fix with the current resources you currently have if properly managed and properly run. You know, David, it's just very frustrating when I hear the rhetoric about this. And I do hear the rhetoric about this. And a lot of the rhetoric is based either on intentional ignorance or voluntary ignorance, like a lot of issues in America. I, I uh, think uh, An uneducated voting populace is a danger to democracy. 
I can agree. And of all of the subjects you can bring up, I think immigration, and this may be why Trump picked on it, but of all of the different things you could bring up, I would say that immigration has more of the people that don't confuse me with facts my mind's made up. Exactly right. That, that, that's exactly I agree with that. I agree with that. They, you know, they stop it. You say immigration, it doesn't matter what you say, what you prove. They're taking our jobs, and they're on welfare. You know, and, and I hear this from people. Every now and then I'll get an American will come in with it with their worker, right? They say, hey, Jose's worked for me for 15 years. He's the, he runs my company. He does everything I need him to do. How do I make him legal? You know, all these other all these other illegal aliens are getting green cards. How do I get him a green card? I say, well, first of all, you're wrong. <laughs> Nobody else is getting a green card. And two, you can't help Juan. Sorry. I know Juan is a good guy or Maria is a good lady, and sorry, you've got nothing. I can't fix their problem. Nobody can fix their problem. Um, and uh, Americans have a hard time putting their, mo- their mind, because Americans aren't general Americans African-American, white American, Asian-American, they're not exposed generally to the immigration process. And this is where the GOP is going to get hurt big time in the election. Unlike white Americans who are generally not uh, uh, familiar with the immigration process, generally speaking, Latin, Latino Americans, they are. They have relatives and friends who have been through the process or in the process or who are undocumented. So that when, when you pick on the undocumented, you're actually picking on my grandmother or my mom, or my brother. And that comes back to roost. Let's take a break here on America's Web Radio and the Immigration Show. We'll be right back. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámalos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back. And Welcome back, David. Sorry, I was just looking at something. I was just was fascinated by uh, one of our prior guests on the show was Brian Johnson. Remember Brian from New York? Uh, yeah, he was on our show. He does a remarkable amount of work um, uh, uh, with um, uh, children and ch- refugee children that come across the border. And yesterday, uh, he posted a, a brief little note. He said New he, York. I thought he was in Texas. No, he's in he's in uh, he's in New York. Okay. He's in Long Island. Uh, really a good man. Him and his wife do remarkable work for these kids. And um, what's interesting about this is he went online yesterday and he checked the status of all their cases that they had done. Um, and of all of his clients, he, he said, I think it was 72 uh, cases that he's had so far 
uh, at least that he talked about here, only two of those kids are not going to stay in the United States. Hmm. Only two. And those two, basically because they disappeared. He probably won those cases. So Obama continues to deport children, and he keeps winning his cases. All of them. What did that tell you? There's something rotten in the state of Denmark, so to speak. Uh, And you've got a situation where... um, uh, these refugees that are coming into uh, um, into the United States from Central America, fleeing the violence. Now, do you know what Obama is doing on this? David, you heard about this? Okay, so Obama is paying Mexico to find and stop these kids and families before they get to the U.S. border and deport them back to their countries. So, now, presumably Mexico is a, is a signatory to these same treaties that we're signatories to, but I think they treat their obligations a little less seriously than the United States does. And as a result, people are getting sent back to those countries. Now, here's what's interesting. Yesterday, it was a piece, uh, and I forget, was, was it Mother Jones or Salon, uh, one, of the, one of the more liberal uh, online newspapers, did a study. They went back and found people in the last year or so that had been deported back to Honduras, Central America, and Guatemala. Several thousand. Eighty-three of those people have been murdered. I mean, it's, it's a significant percentage. Um, so basically what Obama's doing is sending people back to get murdered in their country rather than process them with dignity. Uh, right now, the Obama administration is under orders from a federal court judge to process all refugees within a matter of 20 to 30 days. I forget whether it's 20 or 30. Uh, at the Dilly Detention Center in the glorious city of Dilly, Texas. And they are making things as hard as possible for pro bono representatives, like my friend John Ovink, who's there this next couple of weeks, um, to uh, actually meet with these women and children. It's all women and children, no no men. Uh, Process them for bonds, prepare asylum applications, and to get them free. Instead, what ICE is trying to do is delay them talking to their lawyers, delay their ability to receive their charging documents, delay their ability to seek bond from judges. And almost everybody that gets in front of a judge gets a bond now because of these pro bono lawyers. And instead gets them released on ankle monitors. Why? You, you have a favorite saying, follow the money. Why? Who owns the ankle monitors? Companies that contribute to the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Money is being made here on these refugees. Are they less safe? Are they less likely to report with or without a monitor? No, they don't. ICE doesn't tell you whether they work or not. We don't have any word from these guys that whether they work or not. But they want to slap, slap ankle bracelets on, on, on refugee seekers in the United States. They try to put them on the kids as well? It wants to turn 18, yes. They can't put them on children, thank God. Otherwise, they probably would do that too. But, you know, they talk, a friend of mine posted, they, they talked about these being brace, ankle bracelets. A bracelet is a piece of jewelry. He called them shackles. And I thought that was an appropriate use of the term. Um, we had one woman, there's a story about this a couple days ago, and I think it was here in Georgia. Um, she, she's on one of these ankle shackles and took her child to the bus stop. And she was at the bus stop waiting for the bus for like half hour. As the bus pulled up, a whole bunch of police cars and ICE vehicles showed up. Because she had wandered past the imaginary line 
of this ankle bracelet. She's a mom taking her kid to the school bus. I mean, this is insane. And yet, this is the Obama administration. This is not some crazy GOP right-wing group. This is the Obama administration, supposedly standing up for truth, justice, and the American way. And the cost. No. They are worse than the Bush administration on this issue. The Obama administration, because they're so afraid of a child refugee crisis, and it's not a big deal to us as a country. Oh, oh we have 60,000 kids that came in last year. Okay. So basically that's like, what, 1,500 kids a state? One kid a school? Okay. We can't handle that? This is not like Germany taking in 500 or 800,000, you know, Syrians. This is a small number of people uh, that we have an easy ability to assimilate and bring in the United States, many of whom would love to go back to their country but for the fact that they'll probably be killed because of the uncontrollable violence in those countries. But where do people form their opinion of this being bad? The The media. media. The media. We know the media. What media? I mean, have you seen a positive story about this on Fox News? No. Have you seen a positive story about this even on MSNBC? No. No. The the truth is simply, the truth is out there in some media, but some view them as either too radical on the left or too radical on the right, so they don't believe them. The reality is the fact, we know what the facts are. We see the facts every single day. The facts are easy to find. Maybe you don't want to believe the facts. Wait, willful ignorance is a terrible thing in this country. We, we, we are willfully ignorant on race issues. We're willfully ignorant on immigration issues. We're willfully ignorant on unemployment issues. I mean, I know the far right talks about this all the time. Obama says the unemployment rate is 5%. It's not the unemployment rate. Because there are tens of millions of people that have moved out of the workforce. Now, some of those who moved out of the workforce, they're also hyper- hyperbolic as well, because they're retiring, essentially. Look, I'm, I'm 60... I really can't get a job at this point, so I'm going to retire. And, I'm, and, and the government's going to support me. They moved out of the workforce. It's hard to get a job in your 60s. You, you know that. A new job where you haven't worked before. And it's not because people aren't willing to work. It's just those types of jobs for that age group, it's just it's not available in, in, in the way our economy works. We don't value that. Uh, but those, those tr- people remain ignorant of those truths. And thus, they don't demand solutions from their politicians. Now, David, I know that you know uh, that both parties have some good ideas. Both parties have good ideas, to a certain extent. But no party has the corner on every good idea, which is why it's so important. That's why compromise is so important. It's why being able to recognize, look, I don't agree with you on that. I think you're wrong. But if you agree with me on my issue, I'll go along with your issue. For Let's put a cap, let's put a timeline on it. Let's see if it works. We have lost the ability to do that in our government, in our federal government. We've lost that ability. May I argue? Yes. I started to agree with what you were saying, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me, no, I don't agree with that. You show me a smart politician that can identify the immigration problem then I'll agree with you. But I don't care whether they're from the Democratic or Republican. You listen to what they say, no, and they I, don't I, have let, a clue about you. immigration. Let me educate There are a few that are. Paul Ryan understands immigration, which is why the right wing of the GOP doesn't like him. Okay, 
to a certain extent, Trey Gowdy understands the immigration issue and the problems associated with it, to a certain extent. Um, Boehner understands the issue. But what none of these guys have in common, what, what do they all have in common, is their unwillingness to act on what they know because they're afraid of the people who don't understand the issue. We're going to primary you. Power becomes more important than solving the problem. And until we have politicians who want to say, you know what? Elect me for two years. You want to throw me out? That's fine. But for two years, I am going to work on a solution. And I'm going to work with guys in my party. I'm going to work with guys in another party. And I'm going to come up with a solution. You want to kick me out because I've found a solution? Fine. Kick me out. I don't care. I'm not in this. This is not my career. We've allowed politicians to become career politicians, which is why Trump is so powerful. He's not a career politician. He doesn't doesn't need this job, but he feels like he can contribute. Whether you agree with him or not, how he's going to contribute, people are fed up with career politicians. But there's lots of people out there that do understand the issue. They're afraid of losing their power and position because of, of, of what they believe needs to be necessarily done. That's why Rubio, who, who understands the issue, backed off of it so much. I mean, talk about a flip-flopper. Oh, my gosh. He makes Hillary Clinton look like a, look like a rock statue. Um, he slips so much, on, especially on this issue. So, no, uh, there, there is this, this dichotomy. This but what's the difference in knowing and not doing? Then there's cowardice. no difference. Knowing and not doing is cowardice. Not knowing and not doing is simply ignorance. Okay. But you get the same. What's result. worse, cowardice or ignorance? Cowardice, but cowardice is, is worse, absolutely. But you get the, it's the same, same result, result, which is nothing. Nothing. Exactly. Nothing going on. Nothing being fixed. Nothing happening. I, I mean, I agree. It's it's clearly a massive problem, uh, and the current issues in the House of Representatives, where there essentially is no speaker, <laughs> um, and looks like no hope on the horizon, there will be a speaker anytime soon. Uh, Paul Ryan is a very, very smart man. Okay, He knows that being a speaker is a dead end for him. No speaker has ever been elected president, I don't think. Maybe one time. Speaker been elected president of the United States? I don't think ever. I can't. Uh, and you can't think of any, right? No. And what does Paul Ryan want to be one day? President. President of the United States. That's why he agreed to be Mitt Romney's running mate, because there was there was no downside to him winning or losing. Wins, he's set up to be president. Loses, he, she, he looked presidential. Okay, So there's no downside to him. Being speaker, massive downside. Massive downside. There's no Being speaker is a culmination of a political career. It's not the middle part of a political career. Yeah, there's a first time for everything. Maybe he could be speaker and still be president one day. But when you're speaker, you become so partisan that you can't cooperate with the other side. And when you have a party that is, a Republican party, that at this point is not really a political party, the GOP is two different parties under the same banner. There are the economic Republicans who don't care about social issues and are viewed as liberal on social issues, and you have the social Republicans, the social cultural issue Republicans, who don't care so much about economic issues but are super focused on social issues and they're two different parties and neither the twain shall meet. Hey, we probably should take our final break here on America's Web Radio on the Immigration Hour. We'll be right back for our final segment. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley. 
y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hey, this is Charles Cook calling on a... Uh, uh, our final segment. I'm not really calling, am calling. I? I, I kind of had Hello. a kind of... Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, I am just fascinated by this whole John Boehner, um, Kevin McCarthy thing going on in the House. Are you fascinated by this at all? Or are you just uh, deeply troubled by it? I think I'm more troubled by it than fascinated by it. I, You know... There's so many things, and this bothers me. This is the bottom line bother, is there's so many things that go on that we will never know the bottom line or the what caused him to do it. Was it crying because the Pope was there, or was it you know has he been thinking about this for? I read an article about this recently, and the, the theory was he just didn't want to deal with it anymore. He's affecting his health. I don't know how any guy who smokes as much as he is cares about his health, but and affecting his health, affecting his mental health, affecting his family. It's like, this is not worth it. Life's too short. Uh, and he was unwilling to work with Democrats. You know, the reality is that uh, Tip O'Neill worked with Republicans all the time to pass stuff. There's, he, he was afraid to undo the Hastert rule, which was forced on Dennis Hastert, uh, that a majority of the majority needs to act on something. Look, these guys are afraid of... I mean, Boehner wasn't afraid of being unelected because he's going to save district. But so many of these, these guys are afraid of being unelected, of being challenged from the right. Without realizing... Yeah, okay, you, you saw uh, the dude in Virginia go down, all right? The minority, the majority leader. Freak. A freak thing. Unplanned. That's not going to happen all over the country. It's just not. Um... And that was just a super conservative district, and they got a guy. That guy probably won't even win re-election, frankly, going forward. Uh, they're afraid of not wielding power. That's well, what they're afraid of. You know, which I didn't realize, and, and I thought I was somewhat of a constitutionalist, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be in the House no, you to, don't. to no, be you the don't. Speaker, and so that's why I went ahead and sent your name out. Did you do that? Uh, a newt beat me to it. I think it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> that anybody would even mention Newt Gingrich's name as an interim speaker. A man who was literally run out of town because of adultery issues. They want to put him back in charge of the House? That is laughable. Absolutely laughable. 
Uh, that shows you how far the GOP has fallen, that they would even consider Newt Gingrich for that. The man's an adulterer, for God's sakes. <laughs> oh, but God forgave him. Whatever. Okay, He's still an adulterer. Um, and that there is nobody in the House of sane mind and body that will step forward. This shows you how smart Ryan is and how sane he is. He doesn't want to do it. That, to me, speaks volumes about why he's qualified to do it, because he doesn't want to. When you get a guy like Jason Chavitz, who is a, a mental lightweight on, on all these issues. He's and he's done a Utah a, man, isn't he? He is. And, and he defeated one of my very good friends, Chris Cannon, for that seat. And as a result, the House of Representatives lost an excellent legislator, a good man. And they got Jason Chavis instead, a man who is honestly incapable of having an honest debate on an issue. Uh, and I don't think he's smart enough to be Speaker of the House. I really don't. I mean, I say that publicly. If he doesn't like me for it, that's fine. Uh, I want a speaker who's smart and, and, and on top of things and willing to work with both parties and the president. You know, you don't want to work. You get what the that's, – that's why all of a sudden you see the executive orders. We'd have very few executive orders if we had a Congress that would act with the president on issues. I mean, you might hate his guts, but the reality is he's not running for re-election. Biden's not running for election. I mean, so whoever's running is not going to ride on his coattails. You can say, look, look at us. Look at us, the GOP. We can work with anybody. You still vote for us, but we can work with anybody. No, they're going to choose the road that says this is the hard road. Hit me again. Get me that plank and let me bang it against my head again. Uh, it reminds, reminds me of the monks in, the, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> when there's Psalms, ACG, Requiem, bam, hit himself on a rock with a, with a plank on the head. Why do you want to keep hitting yourself with a plank on the head? There are options to, to govern here. Maybe it's because a lot of these guys view governing as a bad thing. And maybe they're working to destroy the government from the inside. <clears throat> maybe they're not smart enough to run a government. And so this is what happens when you elect people who are not smart enough to run a government. Honestly, it's not the Congress of my youth, David. It's just not the Congress of my youth. Probably not the Congress of your youth either. No. No. And it's depressing as a result. And but, it's not the administration's of uh, my Well, youth. you know what? And that's fine. But the administration comes and goes. Uh, we have a chance every four years to change it out. The American people chose Barack Obama twice. Period. People have spoken. So people have also spoken with a divided Congress. So why won't the Congress work with him? The people want Obama. They got Obama. People want a GOP Congress. They got a GOP Congress. Work together, damn it. Work together. That's what I need to do. And on the immigration issue going forward, uh, this fight is not over. Now, I remain convinced that Donald Trump will not be the president of the United States. He will not be the GOP nominee. Okay, We're going to get one of the established Republicans will come in and ride and save the day, whether it's Kasich or, or, or Bush. Uh, heaven forbid it's Rubio, because I think, I think Hillary would wipe him up with a paper towel. I mean, he, he's not the bounty All man. Right. He's, the, he's the spill that the bounty man wipes up. The rag that she used to clean it's their... the rag that she used to clean up the bounty spill. Uh, she well, would just hard wipe drives, under the table. The hard you drives know, that she... He, really, the Clintons would just eat him alive. In eight years, maybe he'd be a solid candidate. I, I want my president to be at least 50, okay? 40-year-old presidents I'm just tired of. I'm just tired of at this point. I uh, was talking to somebody. Last Monday night, I went to a fundraiser for the GOP, uh, uh, for the GOP here in Georgia, and uh, I was talking to somebody, what do you think about Rubio? He's really good on immigration. I said, first of all, he's not good on immigration. Nobody knows what the immigration stance is anymore. Second, when, what happened the last time we elected a 45-year-old man as president of the United States? Didn't work out so well for us, did it? You know, he just is too young. He doesn't have the life experience. 
and that really bothers me. Now, David, uh, I want to finish up with talking about some big news here in Georgia on immigration, uh, and that is Friday's argument in the Georgia Supreme Court. So this Friday, uh, I will be representing uh, uh, 39 uh, students uh, in their claim for uh, in-state tuition because they are DACA recipients. The argument is very simple. Uh, the president has issued them work permits and has ordered them uh, automation order saying that they no longer accrue unlawful presence. The opposite of unlawful presence is lawful presence. It's not nothing. It's lawful presence. So you're not including. So you have lawful presence. The Board of Regents has said anybody with lawful presence in the U.S. who otherwise meets the tuition requirements for in-state tuition is entitled to in-state tuition. They're refusing to acknowledge that. Now, we lost this issue at the Superior Court and the Court of Appeals, uh, not on the merits, but rather on the issue of sovereign immunity. And I believe both the Superior Court judge and the Court of Appeals did not understand the Supreme Court's position in uh, a case called Matter of Sustainable, or the Sustainable Coast case, uh, where in that case the Supreme Court said that unless authorized by the state legislature, you cannot bring a declaratory judgment action seeking injunctive relief against the state. Uh, <clears throat> my position has always been we are not seeking injunctive relief, so therefore that case is not applicable to us. And there are various theories under which we can bring a declaratory judgment action, including the Declaratory Judgment Act itself. And the Declaratory Judgment Act itself is quite clear in that it allows us to bring an action against the state. Now, the Supreme Court of Georgia, when they take cases, when we appeal to the Supreme Court, they, they're like the federal Supreme Court. They do not take every case presented to them. They discretionarily take cases. And honestly, it surprised me that they took our case. Uh, because I believe the only reason they would take our case would be to narrow what they said in Sustainable Coast and to rule in our favor that superior courts still retain the right to issue declaratory judgments against state agencies when there is no request for injunctive relief. Now, some people will ask me, well, then what do you get? Let's say you get an injunctive, do you win the case? The judge can't order the state to do anything. Ah, there's the rub, David. Uh, first of all, if the state law is clarified and a state agency refuses to follow that state law, then we don't need a state judge to order them to do anything. We could go to federal court under an equal protection argument and get the, get the federal court judge to order the state to follow state law. That That's a no-brainer. I can do that. Uh, but I, what I think is true is that once the law is clarified, and I, and I think it will be clarified in our favor, um, then the then the state agency will act in accordance with the clarified state law, and that's that's my grand hope uh, that uh, we will be able to get that argument. Now, argument is going to be in Gilmer County, David, in North Georgian LJ on Friday. You're welcome to come if you're free on Friday morning. Come come to Apple Country. Maybe you go to Burt's Pumpkin Patch while you're up there. Uh, pick up a couple gallons of apple cider. Ooh, apple cider. Good stuff. Leave it out for a few weeks. It's even better. Uh, and uh, my favorite thing to get up there, though, is apple bread. Mm-hmm. I love apple bread. Really, really, I don't know how they make it, but it's sugar and apples and some flour, and it's really, really good. Our argument will consist of what is very simple. Uh I've been preparing uh, for several weeks now, going over in my mind, writing notes, about how to address this with the justices of the Georgia Supreme Court. And I keep coming back to this very simple issue. 
if the court does not allow our lawsuit to proceed, then what the court says is as follows. A state agency can create a rule. That rule can use ordinary language that has special legal meaning. They can then interpret that rule contrary to the meaning of those words and not be held accountable for it. And thus, they can create their own rules and not be accountable to the people they're supposed to be serving. That flies in the face of our very democracy. That flies in the face of the Georgia Constitution. And it flies in the face of common law. That's why declaratory judgment action, actions exist. To clarify the law. To clarify contracts. To ensure that state agencies are doing what the law dictates. Including law they themselves create. Now, if they don't want to give NSA tuition to DACA kids, they have other means to do that. And they could easily do it tomorrow. But I believe the Board of Regents wants to give in-state tuition to these kids. Heck, they're giving in-state tuition to kids who aren't even from Georgia because the schools aren't full enough. So, David, I look forward to reporting next Tuesday on the results of our oral argument. I don't, I don't think, obviously, we're not going to have a decision right away, but I think we'll get a decision pretty quickly before the end of the year. And hopefully we're going to win that case. Um, uh, you can tune in, by the way. Uh, the oral arguments will be live cast on the Supreme Court's website, I believe. Uh, and uh, there's also a documentary being made uh, by some filmmakers, and they're going to be there as well. So this should be very interesting, David, and I'm excited for it. Uh, for our listeners, we'll look forward to t- talking to you next week on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.